I'm Richard Pyatt. Welcome to another in our Discover Kalamazoo Historic Episodes. Today, we're visiting the villages of Climax and Scotts, southeast of downtown Kalamazoo. Joining me is Kevin Harvey, whose family, get ready, dates back to the early 1900s in Climax. Howdy, Kevin. Hello there. Well, this is really interesting because there is a number of great points that we can use to entice folks to visit Climax and Scott's. But, you know, one of the things that I've heard people say more often than not is, how do they get that name? And it really is interesting. You know, it's, it is an interesting name, and you're not going to make any jokes that we haven't heard in Climax. We've heard them all. <laughs> we've used them all. We've said them all. But the name truly does come from handed down stories over history. When the original settlers, the Eldreds, the Pierces, were basically about halfway between Detroit and Chicago or so, this is the climax of our journey. This is the highest point is what that is a reference to. And let me tell you, it may be small town America, but to me, it's still one of the most exciting places on the face of the earth. All right. So the name is appropriate in a few ways, at least. How about uh, a special certain monument that's in Climax that is of particular significance? It is. And I think there's a lot of what I'll just call the kids today that maybe just know it as, hey, there's this stone thing in the park now. Uh, It has been relocated. But back in 1896, Climax was the site of Michigan's first rural free delivery or RFD. And that was a big deal at the time. And I won't go entirely into the history lesson of what a big deal rural free delivery was to how people communicated and shared products and information and letters and things. But it's a very big deal. And it was a very big deal to the town of Climax. And in fact, originally in the heart of town was built a stone monument where one of the base stones of that was actually a pork barrel stone donated by the Harrison family with ties to former U.S. President William Henry Harrison. So not necessarily a presidential stone, but a presidential tie to Climax at the time. So that pork barrel stone is one of the, we'll say, marquee elements of that particular monument. And in fact, there is record now of where all these stones came from. But for a while, that was thought to be maybe lost to time. But once upon a time, our Prairie Historical Society cracked the code of when the monument was moved, it was rotated one quarter turn. Uh, So they were trying to find, like, the charts just didn't seem to line up, but they did eventually solve that riddle. So we do actually have records of stone number one came from here, stone number two came from this. And current area residents may be surprised to know that stones that came from their family's properties or maybe properties that later became their family's properties. Because one thing we'll probably learn in this conversation today, almost every marquee building in Climax has been several things over the, the last 150 years or so. Sure. Yeah, and we're going to talk a little bit more about what a marvelous job the Prairie Historical Society has done in solving some of these riddles, as you say. So we'll talk a little about that in just a moment. How about the library? Boy, this is uh, a really interesting building and has a history that's been acknowledged. Yes, it is. actually. So it's Lawrence Memorial Library. It, It was originally the post office for Climax and part of these major historical events for Michigan and for Climax. It has been a library for quite some time now because that building was donated by the Lawrences to the village of Climax, I believe, with the contingency of it must be used as a library. Yeah, so uh, obviously a well-articulated intent there, and that intent has been carried out. So good news there. 
Boy, uh, there is a particular resident of Climax who has a certain significance and a certain connection to a certain building, right? <laughs> yep. So uh, Hiram Moore is a name that a lot of people who know their Climax history should know, and a lot of people beyond Climax know as well, because he invented the Harvester Combine, which without making this a complete farming technology equipment history lesson, was a big deal in its time. Now, as time went on, there were some debates in terms of, okay, was the idea sold or stolen or borrowed for other equipment in time? But mm. Hiram Moore made a big change with that piece of equipment, changed farming, and made some big waves in Climax. And that was such a big part of Climax history that a sadly no longer intact building, it was lost to a fire a couple of years ago, but dead center in town on the main core corners, right next to where the monument used to be, was a restaurant that was actually started by my grandmother, B. Weesey's. Now, that building has been a number of things. I believe it was a grocery store. I don't know if that was its original incarnation, mm -hmm. but it was a few different things. But the lion's share of more modern history, it was the Harvester Restaurant. And that was owned by my grandmother. It had a few different owners over time. The more most recent owner was Athena Hinga, a graduate of Climax Scott. So she was able to kind of keep that tradition alive. And as I said, sadly, the building no longer there. But the word harvester, Hiram Moore, and the location and the meeting place and the camaraderie that comes from a small town sharing some drinks, some laughs, some food, some good times. That word harvester means a lot to virtually everyone in Climax. Yeah, it sure does. I remember the day of the fire and the response of the community and a real feel of loss that happened when that, uh, when that took place. So next is the Climax Crescent. Kevin, talk about that. Oh, I love the climate. Good luck getting me to stop talking about the Climax Crescent, <laughs> uh, an integral part of Climax history, how Climax gets their news. The building itself has rich history beyond the over 100 years of the newspaper at this point. It was the Climax Hotel when the railroads, I mean, I feel like that's almost like a buzzword in history, the railroads. It's almost lost on us today. Yeah. But the railroad was the conduit, how everyone got everywhere. And Climax was a main stop. There used to be significantly more businesses, barbershops, kind of one of about every old timey kind of business you could imagine. And the, what is now Crescent House used to be the Climax Hotel. And then adjoined to that is Crescent Publishing Incorporated. So uh, there is just so much history in the building, but the newspaper itself, for as much as people may be consuming this, a digital format of entertainment, there's a lot of print is dead mentality for folks sure. who are very internet centric. However, they don't understand how in a town like Climax for a hundred years, that is how people get the news. It comes out once a week and it's such a key piece of the town that I know there's a lot of people trying to keep that spirit and that moxie of what the Climax Crescent has always been. Uh, but what I loved, even more beyond just the local news, sports team results, election results, important matters of the town, it also has the charms of things like bird sightings. Hunting results used to be a thing. <laughs> I'm not sure if it still is, but uh, in the fall when high school kids would take a week off of school to go hunting with permission slips for their parents, we would see like, okay, so-and-so got an eight-point buck, things like that. And that it, it's a charm, and it's a, a term of endearment for me for the small town. 
I mean, how cool is it if you are a child of the 80s, as I was, to see your picture in the paper with your Pinewood Derby car because you won a competition in your Cub Scouts? <laughs> um, in Climax, I, I hope to never see that the small town newspaper stop because in major metropolitan areas, there's many ways you can get your news. I mean, with three taps of your thumb on a phone screen, you can get probably a lot of what you need. But in Climax, I love that it's not as nose and phone screen all the time, everywhere. Mm -hmm. yeah. And stuff that a lot of people may brush off in big city or more major metro areas could be a front page headline in Climax because the people actually want to know about it. They want to care about it. Well, hats off to them for keeping the Crescent as vibrant as it is. How about it? We have a state park in Climax. <laughs> Campsites, you've got Blue Lake, there's a dock, you can get your boat in the lake, go fishing. There's a, a lot of different events. Uh, most of my memories there have to do with going fishing with my dad or my grandfather. And I think a lot of the community has similar memories there. Sometimes we would take school trips. There's kind of special treats at the end of the year kind of a thing. That's almost one of the few places where you would see cars that you didn't recognize. Like, oh, that's not so-and-so's car. That's, you know, my, my friend's mom's other car that they drive when they go camping. It's one of the main attractions, I think, to bring people outside of Climax to the Climax area. A right. lot of outdoorsy activities in southwest Michigan, a lot more than I see around me in suburban Chicago. But I definitely miss that. I, I miss the prospect of just, hey, I'm going to go fishing today. I mean, here, that's like a, at least a week of planning and fashion choices and function choices. <laughs> and you, you go shopping at this, you know, a major retailer for fishing equipment, where in Climax, the plan is basically like, hey, Richard, you want to go fishing? <laughs> sure. And we go. And we go. <laughs> and, that's, and that's it. That was the plan. Because we already Much have simple. the boat. We already have the fishing rods. It's just a matter of choosing the car and then and going <laughs> there. Yeah. And recognizing the other cars, as you said. Now... Uh, it's interesting because when Climax is referenced these days, it's often Scott's that is additionally referenced. So Climax and Scott's kind of became blood brothers at one point, didn't they? They did. Uh, in fact, in, in my life, Climax and Scott's have always been, whether you want to call it symbiotic or joined at the hip, there's a lot of different ways you could spin a metaphor with that one. Uh, and to me, it's I try to make sure what I'm referencing Climax just as shorthand. To me, it's almost like an abbreviation for Climax Scots. I never want to feel like I'm leaving Scots out because Climax and Scots, it, it's a family. They are two different zip codes, but there was a need to actually merge two different school systems. So in 1946, Climax and Scots all became one school system, at least at the high school level. And over time, that unpacked a little bit more. So it was all truly one school system. Sure. So those that graduated in 1947 would have been the first graduating class of a merged Climax and Scots together. And then in 1952, that was when Climax Scots Community Schools became the formal school system name. And then other things took a little bit of time to kind of settle because you know, with kindergartners, uh, you don't necessarily want to have them at school all day. There's bus logistics. But 1985 was actually the last kindergarten class that was divided where there was a Climax kindergarten and a Scots kindergarten. In fact, right. I am was a member of that last ever Climax kindergarten class. So it, it wasn't always, though, a brotherly relationship, right? I mean, there was a rivalry there a little bit and, and two towns yeah. trying to make their identities survive, but they yeah, did. 
Yeah, and it's it's something where obviously I wouldn't wasn't quite around in the 1940s uh, when this was happening. It's my understanding, talking to folks with historical ties to Climax and to Scott's, there was even some debate when the schools were merging, is it going to be Scott's Climax? Like uh-huh. whose name goes first on the marquee? And, and even when I was in school, and to a degree to this day, I mean, I have childhood friends, and to this day, we'd probably rib each other in some way of okay, Scott's is this, Climax is that. And I would say at this point, it's more of a a tongue-in-cheek, more of a good-natured ribbing kind of a thing. But my Mm -hmm. understanding is in the 1940s, as the decision was being made that we do need to kind of merge these schools, it's for the best of both communities. I I think there was some sore points there. uh, But to that, I'm going to have to refer most to the history books because of the many things I am, alive in 1946 is not one. That makes two of us. But... Scott's in and of itself has some points of interest that folks should know about. Oh, for sure. Several of them. I mean, just like I was joking a bit about Climax, every building has been at least, you know, probably three to five things at this point. There's so many businesses. They used to be a hardware store. They used to be this. They used to be that. Where maybe the original business is not still going, but the buildings are still, the physical structure is still there, maybe rehabbed a bit on the inside for the main drag of businesses through Scott's. Right. There's a mill pond. There's a grist mill that still functions, right? Mm -hmm. There's a few of these things. Yeah. And in fact, the Scott's mill pond, I've learned a lot about just kind of in preparation for our conversation today about some of the different history. And in 1845, sort of the journey to become the most modern version of the mill that we know, the entire property, which I believe is 560 acres, Mm -hmm. was sold for $750. Big bucks. And I don't think I could get five blades of grass off of one acre of land for $750 (laughs) these days. So I thought that just kind of jumped off the page when that was sent to me over the last week or so. Uh, But it was a functional flour mill. I believe it was 1867 that it first became the mill specifically for the production of flour. And I believe that it did right up until the point that it was acquired by the Kalamazoo County when it was basically made a, a more formal part. That was probably around 1972 or 73, I want to say. But it was very involved in the mill production or in the production of flour. And I remember a lot of elementary school trips to that mill pond, which I wish I'd listened a little bit better back then. I probably would have been slightly better prepared for today. But <laughs> it's it's funny how you can kind of realize how much you maybe took for granted when you move 200 miles from a small town and you look back and just wish that you could drive down Main Street or drive down 36th Street in Scotts and just kind of go through the heart of town. Because right. I'm not kidding when I say, looking out the window to my right, I see nine different neighbor houses, of which I know two. Uh-huh. I, I could drive down Climax today after not having lived there for 20 years or Scotts, and my arm's going to get tired from waving to everybody <laughs> that I see along the way. That's the way it's supposed to be, I suppose. Now, we mentioned the Prairie Historical Society. They have an office in Climax that folks can stop in and uh, have a little help with research if they need it. Yeah, there is a lot that Prairie Historical Society does beyond just archiving important things, people, landmarks, and businesses of the two towns. But their office is actually adjoined to Lawrence Memorial Library in the heart of town. And for anybody who wants to be more involved or contribute to PHS, They have a P.O. box where you can send your membership dues where you'll get basically every other month newsletters. And that address is 107 North Main Street, P.O. Box 82, Climax, Michigan, 49034. 
But if nothing else, that $15 does a lot to help PHS basically keep the lights on, so to speak. But those newsletters go from anything from family genealogy to history of buildings. Uh, Their most recent one went into detail about somebody who was a revered nut grower in the state of Michigan that from a direct inquiry of that person's family finding out, hey, my ancestry has this little detour through Climax. And in finding that out, nobody in PHS knew that. So they put together this whole newsletter to just get another factoid about the interesting and eclectic history of Climax Michigan out there. And PHS can do that and so much more. They've helped people figure out who their birth parents were for folks who were adopted and entire bloodline things. And, And I can tell you the people at PHS, and I can say this with great confidence because two of them are my parents who I talk to very regularly. They love sinking their teeth into those kinds of things. So if you've ever wanted to know something about your family, the community, a building, reach out to PHS. They're up there every Tuesday. And you can get a hold of them through the magic of social media and telephones. (laughs) Those still work. But they're more than happy to help you try to pin down anything you might want to know about the towns of Climax or Scotts. And after listening to Kevin and hearing his passion about Climax and Scotts, it might not surprise you to know that Kevin is doing a Climax podcast. We can find that pretty easily, right? I've tried to make it about as easy as possible. It's on virtually every popular podcast platform that there is. But if you want a shortcut, ClimaxThePodcast.com. There's even a giant button that hops up and down on the screen that says click here to play. So I can't make it much easier in the digital age for people to access. But Climax the Podcast is a combination of archival recordings made available by Prehistorical Society or different families in the area. And it's about 50% those and 50% I do my best to sit down face to face with longtime residents or significant figures. Even in the first season, our guests included the longest tenured teacher in Climax Scott Schools, Lark Murphy, longtime baseball coach Bob Weesey's. Then you've got historical recordings where you have people like Dwayne Drawlett Sr. talking about the fire of 1904 because he was around, like the family was around at that point. Or Neva Vosberg. Vosberg's one of the biggest farming family names in Climax. We have an archival recording of Neva Vosberg. And so we've been able to help grandkids, great grandkids, family members who were never even alive at the same time as Neva hear her story from her through the podcast. And it's been a passion project trying to get home in the next week or two to crank some more episodes out for everybody. Well, congratulations on the success of that. And thank you, Kevin, for enticing us to visit Climax and Scott's in this particular episode. We appreciate it. Well, thank you, Richard. Appreciate the time. It's like I said, it's always easy to get me talking about Climax and Scott's, but good luck shutting me up. Thank you for having me, sir. Well, thank you. I'm Richard Pyatt. Be sure to check out our additional Discover Kalamazoo historic episodes at discoverkalamazoo.com.